Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd like to ask you to do two simple things. First, if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast player. And second, if you could share or send this link to another grassroots coach. Those two things will help us spread the word about the podcast and grow our community. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Neil Parsley. Neil is a co-founder and director of the unique and highly successful underground training station gym in Wirral. He's one of the most sought after and experienced SNC coaches in the UK. Over the last 16 years, Neil's coached Olympic champions at both Beijing and London, multiple world and European medalists, and national champions across several sports, including Taekwondo, athletics, rugby, swimming, cycling, wrestling, and disability swimming. He also regularly presents on his work at national and international conferences. So welcome to the podcast, Neil. Hi, Rob. You okay? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. No problems. So for those who maybe haven't come across you previously, how did you get involved in sport as a youngster and how has that kind of evolved into what you do today? Wow, gosh, that's a long time ago because I'm a little <laughs> bit getting on a bit. Uh, so I was, I, was, I was really lucky that sort of the junior school that I went to was really, um, it was really sporty. We had a brilliant, probably my first sort of inspirational, I put down my dad, I put down my dad as being really inspirational. He played a lot of sports. Played, he actually played football for, for Liverpool. He was signed by Liverpool when he was a young when he was a youngster, but he broke his ankle and was released when he was about nineteen. Um, so he's he was a sort of and then played squash. All he's like still playing squash now. He's seventy five. So he's he's very much. He's always said to me, just he used to drag us along to all these different sports. And and I suppose I got the love love of sport from from hearing about him playing I didn't see him play football um but then he'd always be playing a bit of tennis squash we went on holiday when we were young so I, I sort of and then, and then this school had this amazing PE teacher Mr Roberts who, I, who actually would you believe I still see today because he volunteers and he's he's about 70 70 something himself now so he was really inspirational to me when I was when I was young so we, we played everything athletics we used to run a block at school um you know, which was just great handball. We played full contact rugby back in the day from when we were a year, the equivalent of year, probably year two. We went through the whole of the junior school unbeaten our rugby team. We had, a, we had an amazing rugby team. So we went for four years. So yeah, uh, three, four, five, six, sorry, year three, four, five, and six. Um, first, second, third, and fourth year in old, in old, school, in old school terms in, the, in a junior school. We went unbeaten for four years. We had an unbelievable rugby team. So stuff like that, it was just, I was, in, I, was in a, I was around, I was in a good school that loved sport with a family that loved sport. So that was, that was me hooked really. And I, I sort of, that was great. And, and then to be honest, I was, I was a really late developer. So that's, that's where the initial sport came from. It was definitely this, this great school I was at and, uh, um, and having a brother as well, having a brother 18 months younger than me. So we, we just played a lot of sports together, tennis. And, you know, if we went on holiday, we'd be, we'd, all we do is play sports all day, play, play footy, rugby. So that was really helpful as well, looking back, you know, having, having a brother of a similar age um, so to, do, to do stuff. So, and then late, later on, um, as I say, I was quite a late developer as far as I was the skinny kid who, who, who literally didn't grow. So I actually played two years of rugby in secondary school and then really started to struggle. I was at athletics. I was a pole vaulter. I was a hurdler. 
did a bit of longer distance as well. Um, so a little bit of a multi-sport sort of person, but then I really started to struggle when I hit the, when everyone started to grow and mature, I, I did struggle. So I sort of went to, more towards golf. Um, and my brother, my brother was, we, we, we sort of found golf when we were about 10, 11, my granddad took us. And then for the next two or three years, I, I just, we just played golf all the time. Um, which was great for my brother because he became a professional golfer. But I soon, <laughs> I, I soon realized, I soon realized that I wasn't a natural golfer. I was really, I was really struggling and he was just, he was natural. Like he was a Cheshire, Cheshire champion and, and played for all kinds of teams. And I was, I was there like grafting, practicing like mad. We'd go and practice for hours and it would work for him and I, 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 it wouldn't work quite for me. So I was like, and then all of a sudden, would you believe the, the professional in the shop had this challenge of having a broomstick with a, um, a heavy sort of like, it was like a, um, it, was a it, it wasn't actually a weight. It was, a, it was like a heavy key ring attached to a, a rope and you'd put your arms out straight, arms straight level with your shoulders and you would unravel this, this key, heavy key ring and bring it back up. And, and, and literally, the, would you believe, thinking about it when you, you asked the questions, that was probably the first sort of strength training really that I that I did because I had in my head it really got into my head he was like right who can do this up down three times I remember getting to like one and a half two and my forearms were in absolute agony and it and it frustrated the heck out of me so I went home got myself a bar got myself a key ring got myself a piece of rope made my made it one and made sure I could do up and down five times and went back about two weeks later and said I have another go on that and, and, and nailed like say knocked out four or five four or five reps so that was like, so that was like a first little, little glimpse, uh, probably a little bit of competitive nature in the sort of, you know, in a strength training capacity, um, it, it, you know, it's a little bit strange to say that, but then, yeah. So then it was, I was about 15, 16 and, I, and that literally kicked me, kicked me into starting to do some press ups, lunges. And I could see my, my body all of a sudden was, I, I was growing and things, things like all of a sudden I, I thought, right, okay, I can, I can start doing this. And something, something inside me said, right, you know, well, golf's not for you. It's pretty obvious. And let's get, let's get doing some, some kind of strength training just at home. So I bought some water at home and, and sort of probably did what a lot of other people did and just started doing a little bit of training, um, which was, which was really fun. Um, I was at a school in Birkenhead called St. Anselm's College, which was, which was a big rugby school. And there was, there was a guy called Austin Healy, um, who probably anyone who knows rugby will know Austin Healy. Um, what, 50 plus caps for England and, and a very, very, very talented sportsman. So he was always like my nemesis when we were young, pole vaulting, hurdling. And then he obviously just, he was, a, an, I'd say, an early developer. He was just a phenomenal sportsman. I was off playing golf. He was you know, doing multiple sports. I came back sort of 15, 16 and was like, wanted to start weight training. He was playing for the North of England and I don't think he played, for, didn't play for full England, but he played North of England and, and there was a gym, a gym not far from us, proper meathead gym, proper bodybuilding, full of dormant, steroid city. Um, and he said, do you want to, should we go to this gym is supposed to be the place to go. And I, I said, well, actually, I've been there once. I got taken there once by one of my friend's dads and he, he'd, he'd written us a program. I said, yeah, come on, let's, let's start going. So me and me and me and ours started, started going there regularly and we're just copying 
what all these absolute grocks meatheads were doing. And so I started, started getting into sort of strength training. Probably it was, it was literally as soon as we could drive. And I, I was lucky I passed my driving test about 12 days after I, when I was 17, because um, my dad was a car dealer <laughs> later <laughs> on in life. So I, I, I started to learn to drive when I was about 10, which is ridiculous, another story. But anyway, so I, I literally, had, I think I had one lesson and then passed my driving test. So, so that was us then. We, we, started, we started going to this local, local meathead gym and the love of training was absolutely, it was, it was inspirational. These monstrous guys pushing all this heavy weight. And I mean, ours were in the, he was, he was flying, you know, he, he was very, very, he was just strong and athletic. And that's why obviously he, he did so well. He was, he did a lot of water skiing and diving and all these, he, he did a real big array of sports when he was young. He was just a super, he was an awesome athlete. Um, but he, obviously he tells everyone that as well. Cause he's, he doesn't, he doesn't, <laughs> Anyone who knows him or knows of him, um, he doesn't mind telling telling people. But he was good. I've got to say, he was good. So, uh, so that really helped, and that was so that was my first sort of foray into into strength training, uh, which was fun. <laughs> and how did uh, obviously um, you you kind of ended up in in rugby league ultimately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that was that was a strange thing. So I, I literally stopped playing rugby for about three or four years. Played golf, got back into the weight training, and then. My first job did, did my A levels, did did terrible. wasn't wasn't for me A levels to be honest. I was just gosh. I, I, luckily, my first work experience when I was in lower six was in a was in a gym, a local a local gym, a local, a local health club. One of these. It was quite a nice gym. Total opposite to this other place. It was it was a um, it was a, a nice um, we call it village hotels. It was a, a health club. And it had MTV, I remember it was like, it was, it was like the first place to have MTV in the gym. Back in the day, you'd have MTV and, you know, a load of machines, a little, little rack of dumbbells. And I, I started work experience there. So that was my, that was, I became a gym instructor. I basically flunked all my A-levels um, because I started working. I got a part-time job. And then I remember picking up my A-level results. I've done an early shift in the, in the gym. I was, I was working there full-time. And that was, that was me. So I, while I was working in the gym, one of the one of the members said, "You used to play rugby at school, didn't you? I've I've, I've heard of you." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Said, well, why don't you come back down to Hoylake Rugby Club, which is just an amateur rugby club, rugby union club on the Wirral? So I was like, "Yeah, okay, great." I remember, I, I literally, I'll never forget it. I went down, and I was telling the kids this the other day, actually, trying to trying to inspire my kids, and started I started playing, and it was like, it sounds stupid, but it was like everyone else was in slow motion. The, the strength training that I was doing, I remember like used to do a lot of leg press, a lot of, lot of, um, a lot of squatting. And I was obviously very light. I was still skinny. I was still always struggle with being sort of very lean and, and skinny, but obviously I'd got strong. And at that level, this sort of amateur level, I, I, it was like they were in slow motion and I was, I was flying, I was flying. So I absolutely loved it. And it was great because you got a bit of adulation Winning man of the matches, eighteen years of old, eighteen years of age, nineteen, standing up, drinking pints, putting putting the glass, putting the put it on your head, you know, after the matches, and just really loving my rugby union, and and sort of then all of a sudden this this love for rugby came came back, um, but then that club for the next two years became a very much forward dominated club, because of that I was playing in the centres or uh, fullback, was literally not getting any of the ball. It was it was real. We had just had this massive back row, and the number eight used to, used to pick it up. Literally, if we had twenty scrums, he would pick 
16 of them balls up and, and run with the ball. So the backs just never got any ball. And I, I used to watch Wigan Rugby League uh, back in the day, you know, when they had this amazing team, which was in the, in the, in the uh, mid-90s. And I said to my mate, I'd love to play Rugby League. I'm fed up. I watch Rugby League and all, well, everyone just runs with the ball. So I actually found the, um, I found the Warrington, because the closest to us for, for Rugby League on the Wirral, no one plays Rugby League on, in Liverpool. It's obviously it's all football. The Wirral's full of Rugby Union. And then the closest to you is St. Helens or Warrington. So we've got some real big, obviously the northwest of England is massive Rugby League, but not around Liverpool. So I worked out that the closest really was Warrington. So I, rang, I, rang the, I found the number for the Warrington development officer. And sorry, long story. This, uh, but, right. but I am pr- I, I am proud of it because I went out I went out the way to find this guy's number, phoned him up, and he was would you believe a, a coach of like a second division back in the day? You'd have the Super League was professional, and then the, there was two leagues: semi-pro, first division, second division. So he ran the Chorley 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 team, which was in the second division. So I phoned up and said, "Right, I want to play rugby league. I'm a rugby union player. I want to play amateur rugby league." And he said, "Well, you, you've." The season you've just finished. The season's just finished. The amateur season, and I said, "Oh, is it not the same as the professional season?" He said, "No, it's, it's the opposite." And I was like, "Oh God!" And he said, "Are you any good?" <laughs> so I said, "Yeah." I thought, God, this is, <laughs> this, this, is this, this is the time to back yourself if someone literally says that to you. So I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, come and have a trial." So um, I literally drove up to Chorley the next week and walked onto a pitch. And anyone who knows rugby league, would you believe? On this pitch was um, Kurt Sorensen, Des Drummond. So there was this, like, what I soon realised was basically that, obviously, that just like you would in a football football team, the, the sort of as the players get older, they, they, they work down the divisions. But, like, anyone who knows rugby league, Kurt Sorensen, I think he captained, captained New Zealand. Des Drummond played for Great Britain umpteen times and was absolute, you know, and awesome guy and we had all these 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 brilliant players in this second division team run by this guy called Kevin Tamati who was an ex kiwi prop absolute enforcer of a guy and i went uh, absolutely wet wet behind the ears but what i could actually do was run with the ball I, from from playing rugby union i actually I, I was fast but i was about 80 kilos whereas in rugby league at the at the low at the lower ends we felt a lot of people were just massive and and you know it was contact contact city, but as a full I, I, went, I went there as a fullback and I'd, I'd beat the first man a lot of the time and obviously I was getting the ball every 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 set of six they kicked the ball and you run it back and I actually I did all right and uh, he offered me a contract I played one <laughs> game I played one game for the reserve team up in Barrow scored a, like a sixty yarder and uh, they offered me a contract hundred hundred was it hundred I think it was hundred and twenty quid a week. With a hundred pound win bonus, I was, and I, you know, and you just don't expect it. I was like, "Wow!" Came home to me, Dad, and said, "Dad, look at this." <laughs> I was, I was, I was uh, 20, 1996. I was twenty-two, and it was, it was brilliant. It was because you know, one of the one of the things that I'd, some for some reason in my head, the two things that I wanted in my life was to become a professional, professional sportsman, and to go on gladiators. We don't need to talk about gladiators, but <laughs> they, were the, they, they were the two things when I was about 18, when I started doing all this strength training. I, for some reason, I, I, I had this belief in my, in my head that I could become a professional sportsman. I actually still didn't know what it was. I actually, I, I, didn't, I didn't fully, I wasn't really into rugby, but I just had this thought that I could become a professional. Um, and I suppose that was the first step. 
to get that contract as a, like you, you signed as a pro, but it's still semi-pro to be fair. No one, there wasn't enough money in that, in that league for people to play professional. Um, I played, had three brilliant three and a half seasons with them and then got the, got the, got the chance to play for Warrington in the Super League, um, which, which didn't go as well as I'd hoped. And probably my lack of, lack of rugby in my early years, I think caught up with me. It was basically physically I was okay, but skill wise, my skill, my skill was definitely shown to be lacking when I hit the the pro the pro that's that Super League standard. That would be an honest. Um, it was a real. It was just the game was faster, and I, I I struggled being honest. It was it was, but it was a it was a hell of a year. I was a, I, I, I I'd almost as well. I think looking back, lessons to be learned were I just wanted to be a professional player. I remember signing that signing signing my contract with Warrington, and I thought I'd made it. And that was a bit of a mistake. Looking back, I should have been right. This is this is the, the next step to go in big. Whereas I almost I almost had made it in my head because I never expected to become I didn't expect to become a professional rugby league player when I was eighteen, nineteen, thinking I want to be a pro something. And then I I, I don't know. It's a little bit looking back. I wish I'd have gone right. Yeah, you know, people say if you if you aim for the stars and you, you'll, you'll hit the moon. I was I was aiming for the moon and I I hit the I hit the clouds a little bit you know so I I wish you know and that's something I try and tell tell my kids nowadays you know aim big aim big and keep aiming big keep resetting my goals I wish I'd have reset my goal and said right I didn't reset my goal and say I want to play 10, 10 15 games this season or try and play every game you know um, in that Super League season but you know sorry that was a very long no answer. no it's good it's a good story <laughs> I like it so no, how did good. you go just... from from playing at Warrington to to getting into SNC and coaching that side of things yeah yeah um so I was so the, the the years while I was work while I was playing at Chorley, I was I was working my way up in the ranks in a, as a gym instructor. Uh, personal personal training wasn't a thing then. So I remember being a being a personal trainer, and it was like, oh yeah, wow, personal training. So I was I was always trying to be ahead of the game in that respect. And then um, as I sort of was playing that semi pro, I was like a supervisor at David Lloyd. I moved to David Lloyd gym. I was a supervisor there. So I, so I kept my hand in doing a bit of PT and just before I was playing for Warrington, was it? Yeah. I started doing a little bit of work with the LTA. There was a, there was a job, uh, Andy Murray's, Andy Murray, Jez Green, Andy Murray's sort of had a few S&C coaches, but I think Jez was a massive influence. There was a couple of other guys, Matt, Matt Little as well, but, but Jez was, was really good with his movements, really good. And he, there was a, there was a little job came up for, uh, working with the Lancashire County, and Ch- sorry, Cheshire County tennis, the kids, like 12-year-olds, 11, 12-year-olds. So I went over to, to Cheadle, watched him do a session. We got on well. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I started doing a little bit of work with the LTA in a very, very low capacity. And that sort of made me think, you know what, all this personal training, a little bit boring. Everyone just wants to lose weight, you know, lose weight, same old story. But the, the sports stuff, really, I really enjoyed it. So that sort of was 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 ongoing. Played played at Warrington, and I remember thinking, right, I need to this sort of. I could see strength and conditioning. I remember there was a, the strength and conditioning coach at Warrington was Tony O'Brien, and he, you know, I think he was good. He had he was he was organised. He'd set us up. We'd you know do a lot of training, and it was like, right, okay, you know, this is this this would be quite a cool job. And then I, I obviously saw that I probably have to go and do a degree, maybe, uh, or definitely get a lot of experience. So. So when that when that season was wasn't going that well, I could see that you know I was only had a one year contract. It was going to be right. Okay, I need to start getting getting myself ready for 
for going back to a job and the sports side of things were brilliant. So I, I sort of started to cash in my sort of chips with Cheshire LTA, Lancashire LTA, and started working with, with the LTA, and which, which, which basically grew into a, a job with the, at the academy up in Bolton. Um, for for a couple of years so that was my first foray into it without 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 a degree to be fair um and then at the same time because of doing that lta work a guy called neil fell who's who's a real clever guy he, he's he's running he ran a lot of health clubs and but he was a he was a he was a real smart guy he was like a sports he was a sports scientist and but then he he, he started managing performance sort of at certain health clubs up in the north northwest and he put my name forward for a job with the uh english women's rugby union basically the eis before the eis was set up they they did some pilot studies um with the english women's rugby team and unbeknown to me i just remember neil said i'll put your name forward for this you're going to get a phone call i got a phone call off i can't remember who it was Unfortunately, someone obviously in charge of the SNC network for the for the women's rugby team, and I started coaching a girl called Jill Jill Burns, who was I think the captain of she was actually captain number eight for the women's rugby England, England women's rugby, and a lady called Anne who was a hooker. So they both played for Waterloo, but were in the England setup. So I started doing that that job um, alongside the LTA work, and then basically a part time job came up at the EIS in Manchester in 2002. And I've been doing this work with the, with the rugby girls for about 18 months. Um, so I ended up Mark Simpson, who a lot of probably a lot of SNC coaches and will, will, will know if you've been around a long time, um, was with British cycling is now over in America with various basketball teams in the NBA. He phoned, he, he basically obviously had a list that he needed. He needed some help. He was the first person at the EIS in Manchester. And uh, I I, uh, I went for an interview because my name I was actually I was actually working for the IS without really understanding that I was working for the IS. Uh, so again, sometimes a little bit of luck, a little bit of luck, you know, sort of plays a part. So I went went for an interview. Um, he interviewed a few people, and I started work part time. And that was where the, my EIS journey, I suppose, my that was probably the, then the, the first proper strength and conditioning job that I, that I did have as a part time part time coach of the EIS in two thousand and two. Mm. It's funny. I actually uh, I didn't remember this until last night before I was thinking about today. But I actually remember reading an article that you'd written in it must have been like a Men's Health or something like that years ago when I was doing my undergrad on the Canadian ascending descending model. Of, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> it just popped into my head yesterday, and that was probably oh, during funny. that period you were working for the EIS, and obviously yeah, I, yeah, yeah, within Taekwondo. Yeah, um, yeah that'll be so. that was that'll, that'll be for fight. I think Fighting Fit magazine because yes. I was working with the wrestlers. I, I it was it was yeah. I ended up because the the wrestling, uh, the freestyle wrestling team were based in Salford, so with with my rugby background, Mark Mark was like right. Well, they've just got funded in two thousand and five. Obviously, we got the bid for, for 2012 and a lot of sports that were sort of obviously low on the, low on the sort of pecking order and, and the lottery funding got, got some funding. And one of them was wrestling. So I started working with the wrestlers and then, yeah, that, I started writing articles for Fight and Fit magazine. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that was, they, they were fun times. They were, you know, EIS for me was so good because it was just, I was just exposed to so many different sports. You know, it was disability swimming, you know, yeah, boxers. Um, you know, track and field, 
the, the wrestlers, swimmers, uh, obviously cyclists at the velodrome with under Mark's tutelage. So it was, it was just a great sort of 10 years that I spent there and then eventually Taekwondo. But, uh, but yeah, the IS, the IS was, was, a, was a great place to be in 2002 to, you know, in them sort of formative years, the IS really. Mm. So tell us about, I mean, an experience not many coaches will have, but what was it like to go to not one, but two Olympics and one being a home Olympics? Yeah, unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. I had, I had um, so I went to Beijing. I actually went to Beijing in a, in, in a different capacity to London. So at Beijing, I wasn't actually working with a team as such. I, I had five, five individual athletes that I'd programmed. Uh, that that were at Beijing. So I had um, Helen Clitheroe, Andy Steele, uh, Jenny Meadows. So the, the three of these guys were all um, track and field. So f- Helen, 1,500-meter runner, Andy Steele, 400, Jenny Meadows, 800. And then uh, Fran Halsall was was a swimmer, um, a, sprint, a, a freestyle, freestyle swimmer. And then also David Price, who I'd worked with earlier on, um, in the build-up to, to Athens, actually. So I didn't actually work with him precede in Beijing, but there was five athletes there that I'd worked with and four of them that I was actually working with at the time. So I actually paid, I actually paid for my own flight to go and watch them because, you know, I thought, you know, I can either sit, sit and watch them on TV or I can actually go over to Beijing. You know, it cost me a few bob, but I'm going to go there and watch my athletes. So I'm proud that I've got to the Olympic Games and and go and watch them in the flesh so i went over to beijing um on my own um got a got a flight got a cheap cheap bit of accommodation and and i had an absolute ball of a time going going around all these different sports oh sorry it was there was a fifth actually that's sorry i think it was a fifth it was sinead reed so sinead reed the bmxer yeah i was working with sinead so i went and watched her unfortunately she she crashed she crashed in the final um so yeah so so that was the five, the fifth athlete, and then Pricey, Pricey the boxer, who actually got a bronze. So, but the other five athletes, and and that's so. So that was the Beijing, the Beijing. Actually, I'd worked with most of them for at least three or four years leading up to Beijing, and and went over there in in my own capacity. And obviously, was I was around all the the GB staff because I, I worked at the IS. It was lucky to go, you know, at each at each Olympics is something called GB House, where all the friends and family congregate a lot of the staff. It's like, it's like a hub for, for the athletes as well. And it was quite cool because I don't know, maybe not that many people went to Beijing. You'd walk into GB house and there'd be tickets just stuck on the wall (laughs) and free tickets for different sports. So I was like, Oh, okay, I'll go and watch uh, badminton today. And okay, well, I know I've got to go and watch um, Helen. I know I've got to watch Andy. But in between, I'll go and watch. I watch the weightlifting final, the men's 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 heavyweight weightlifting final. Which is, if you if you watch it back, a German guy won it. Massive, massive. Uh, uh, Matthias Steiner, emo- emotion. Wasn't it? Yeah, emotional, yeah. unbelievable. Oh, what a story! Yeah. I got a. I actually paid a hundred pound for a ticket to watch the Bolt two hundred meter final. Um, so I watched this two hundred live unbelievable like seeing him i could i was across from the home straight and watching him come down the home straight about 40 meters ahead of everyone else um and then and, and obviously watched my athletes met them met them while we were out there uh, tom lancashire i was also programming as well not not as not as probably as deeply as the rest of the guys so it was just that that was beijing was cool but very very different to obviously going then after after beijing uh, taekwondo was was ramping up massively and they moved from loughborough to Manchester and I interviewed with the head coach Nelson and Gary Hall 
for the position of S&C coach for that team in 2009 and was fortunate to, to sort of get the, get the job and had a, probably, the, probably the best three and a half years as, as part, being part of a team. Um, you know, I've, I've been very lucky. I've worked with a number of amazing teams, but for, for Taekwondo, with England rugby later on, it was an amazing team and we didn't quite get the success. Taekwondo was very, very, very different to England rugby, the way it worked. And and we did get we won we won two medals we got a gold and a bronze which you know is the is the ultimate thing and I think as as S and C coaches know it's not all about the success at the end but that obviously can that that makes a massive difference it's amazing how that can make a difference but you can write unbelievable programs which I did and you know I think I wrote, I wrote good programs for a member of badminton player I worked with unbelievable physical program for him went went to a tournament got knocked out first round lost his funding gone. No one, no one knew about Neil Parsley, S&C coach then. Whereas, you know, hopefully did a good job with Jay Jones and Sarah Stevenson and Bianca Walden and, you know, Aaron Cook and all these, with Taylor Mohammed. But they had the success and, you know, you get, you get some good raps because of it. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough old world we live in mm. when it comes to, you know, when it comes to, to success and in, in people getting medals, people winning things because... Sometimes you do get judged by it, and I say I've written I've written a hell of a lot. I think I've written a hell of a lot of good programs and made some really good connections with with athletes and developed athletes who maybe haven't got success. And you know, it, it, yeah, it's 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 a very it's a re, it's a really crazy crazy job in that in that respect. Um, mm. As I'm sure you as I'm sure you know yourself. Yeah, and I mean that in itself would be a pretty successful career for any SNC coach. But then you kind of got the chair in the cake of, I guess, consulting for both the, the national football and the national rugby team, as well as then some some stuff in professional football clubs as well. Don't you? Yeah, that's more late, more latterly. Obviously, with the with the rugby team, I was a consultant for them for two and a half years, and then was work, was full time for for the six months um, leading up to the World Cup, the home World Cup of 2015, which again was was amazing. Um, and but again, that that was a that was like a, an unsuccessful team. I feel like we got knocked out in the in the in the group stages. So that was seen as a, you know, no one really talks about that 2015 World Cup. Even though Stuart Lancaster for me, Andy Farrell, or Graham Roundtree, Mike Cat, you know, unbelievable coaching setup. The players, you know, the players were were fantastic and worked as hard as they could. But they just, I remember, I think Stuart Stuart Lancaster said, "Judge me on the." The World Cup in 2019 when he took the job, not 2015, but obviously the the roller coaster that is the World Cup in home World Cup came, and it was almost you know he knew that because the team didn't really change that much, you know you you look at the team in 2019, and Eddie obviously did an unbelievable job, uh, and he had you know different staffing, but there was probably I think about 85 90 percent of the players were players from the Stuart Lancaster regime. And obviously the coaching, again, was very different. I can't comment on Eddie Jones' coaching, but I, I saw, you know, Stuart develop players and players getting a lot of caps under their belt. But it was just a very young team in 2015. Mm-hmm. But I was lucky to be part of that the performance team that led by Matt Parker. Uh, Paul Stridgen was, was there, brilliant. Um, a lot of good physios. Um, you know, a great S&C coaches, Tom Tomlinson, uh, David Sylvester, Tweety. You know, a lot of the analysts, the whole performance setup was 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 awesome. As as a rugby player, again, that was probably my perfect job, if you if if you like. As far mm. as working, I was passing. You know, I remember standing at Twickenham and passing the ball, and just having a moment to myself, thinking, "Wow, this is this is unbelievable working working for for the England rugby team 
during the Six Nations, during a going touring touring Argentina and New Zealand, and and then at the World Cup. So yeah, so they, they were they were fantastic, fantastic times. Learning learning a lot all the time. Always trying to have an open mind to learn off all these great people. Um, and then you know the last four years have been to the dark side, as I say, into into the world of football, <laughs> mm. um, which is very different, but but still fun and still still something. I, I'm still I still love being an SNC coach. I've done it for. a uh, a, a while now and I, I absolutely there's never been a day getting out of bed that I've struggled you know I've never hopefully I'd like to think there be, wouldn't be athletes out there that say that of coach sessions you know without any without energy and without motivation because I think that's hopefully that's come through that you know my dad did say to me because he was a car dealer try and do a job that you enjoy son because I tell you what that'll really really help you because he used to hate getting out of bed going to sell cars and I think mm-hmm. that was a big thing that, that he saw, that little lesson. I'll never forget that lesson. That, and, you know, he said to me, if, if it's to be, it's up to you. If it's to be, it's up to me. You know, you've got to get off your backside and do things. So I think that's, that's sort of, I've never, I'm not the most intelligent S&C coach out there for sure. But I've, I've always had sort of energy and, and motivation and trying to read and try and learn and have a real open mind. I think that's, it's probably like a little bit like, like a, a late developing athlete um, when I was young. I didn't have much talent, but what it did teach me was I had to work bloody hard because that, that when I was 17, 18, I saw other people backing off the training because they, they were talented and that, whereas I was, I was right up for it and I was training hard and I was doing my extra sessions, going up the park and taking a tire and sprinting with my tire and stuff like that to try and get myself this get contract. So I, I think that, that hard work ethic was, was really laid down when I was when I was younger, because I was a late late developer, and I think that really has really helped me. You know, I think I, I you know I try and outwork people and try and bring energy. As as a consultant now, you've got it. You've got to have energy. You know, people are people are paying paying for you by the day, by the hour. So it sort of suits me in a way because I think, you know, go in, bring energy, motivate people, and I think athletes athletes and coaches. And teams actually do do like that. Do like that that sort of do like that character being around. As I say, sometimes I'm not the definitely not the brightest person in the room, but I think you know I, I know I know what I know. I've been around a long time, and and I've definitely always got energy, and, and I'm motivated to to help athletes and and try and build trust. I think you know building trust with athletes. You you, you put in one of your questions, what's the what's my sort of coaching philosophy, and I think getting trust from an athlete if an athlete trusts you that's how you develop athletes you know without without trust that you know you just there's, there's there's obviously lots of other things involved with coaching you know knowledge experience but if you engage with that athlete and, and build that trust and that comes from empathy that comes from from loving sport i think you know from loving sport I, because of that multi-sport background when i was young speaking to jay jones and and watching her develop and I actually had a taekwondo match myself I went and fought in a competition because you know I try I do that when I get into when I work with a sport I try and throw everything I've got into it so I I actually actually fought and they thought that was funny seeing me getting <laughs> kicked all over the place but I, I started to want to I want to understand what I was looking for and if she if she kicks someone in the head really well or she might move well and I spoke to her about that I think that knowing the sport, knowing the athlete, watching your athletes, going to Beijing wasn't just a holiday. It was to go there and watch and be able to talk about 
tactics, be able to talk about the way that Helen ran the race, Andy ran the, you know, ran, ran a relay leg, that sort of, that sort of empathy with athletes. That's how you build trust. You know, for me, that's, that's, that's massive. So I, and again, um, Brett Bartholomew does a great job with conscious coaching. I really love all the stuff that he's doing and this sort of, you know, knowledge and knowledge is, is one thing, but that sort of conscious coaching side of things is probably something that I've had to be good at because I say I'm, I'm not the most intelligent coach in the world for sure. But I think having empathy and, and building trust with an athlete, you can go on a hell of a journey and you can develop people a lot by having that, having that trust. Hmm. So tell us about, I guess, your motivation for starting UTS and how that happened and the journey so far going from, I guess, working for the IS and governing bodies to starting your own, your own gig. Yeah, that was, that was, um, I don't know, that was a real, real strange one. I suppose, I suppose I looked at as an SNC coach, I've been doing, I've been working in SNC at the IS for about six years and I, I one knew that the job was growing. I could see that this, you know, that the, the association started it was 2004. It was at the, the, the first, the, the first one up in logs, um, the first, um, the, what do you call the first conference? Uh, I think it was 2004. And I could see this association growing. I could see SNC growing, you know, the EIS was growing. And, and, I, and at that time I got married in 2005, had, had my first child 2006, back in the 2006. And, I sort of got a bit of a reality check. I remember thinking, wow, there's people, there's people jobs coming up. I think it was, I think it was about the time when some of the guys in the IS were going to aspire mm-hmm. in, in, um, you know, over in, in the Middle East. Uh, I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is really cool. But if my wife's talking about, we're talking about two and three children here. I don't know if this is, this is the right time or is it? I don't know. In my head, I was thinking, oh gosh, this is going to complicate things and trying to, I want to, I'm aspiring to get up the ladder as an SNC coach. I was always saying to Raf Brandon, who was like the, I remember being the, he was the lead, the national lead at the IS. He was like, what, what, you know, what's your, what's your aspirations? And I say, well, I just want to be seen as one of the top SNC coaches in the country. I just want to work hard and, and, and my reputation hopefully will, will sort of do the, you know, do the talking that that's, that's what I'm aspiring to be. So, and with that in mind, I was, I was thinking, well, how do you work up? You move up the ladder. Well, all the jobs aren't going to be, in the northwest of England, pretty much this is not going to happen. So, so I need some way of of having a foothold and having. Obviously, it comes down to salary. You know, at the end of the day, it comes down to a a salary and what and, and having a having a salary or having a facility that can help you earn money made sense to me. So, at that time, I was the AS had a, a satellite. I set up a satellite um, site in Liverpool because there's always plenty of boxes and and track and field athletes in Liverpool. So it worked well for me living on the Wirral, which is just across the water from Liverpool uh, to set up this, this, this satellite site. And I met with Colin Rob, Dr. Colin Robertson, who was lecturing at John Moore's at the time. And we talked about, he, he, he's got a really colorful, colorful uh, past as far as S and C and, you know, lecturing and, and sports and, and stuff like that. So we got, got talking, just hit it off and we said, oh, wouldn't it be cool? to do what we do with athletes. We obviously talked about the fact that we train athletes one way and the fitness industry is set up another way, totally different, is an absolute, is, is disgusting really. You know, as far as people are getting ripped off in gyms, the fitness industry is absolutely ripping people off, not educating, not coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And we both sort of said, well, if we're going to, instead of just sitting here lamenting about 
uh, about this, need to do something about it. Why don't we start a start facility? And 2009 underground training station was, was, was born um, underground for the mentality. It wasn't underground under the, under the actual ground. It was the, the we, we thought underground summed up that sort of mentality of think about the 12th definition of underground in the dictionary. We looked at, I looked at, I remember looking it up and thinking, oh, that's cool. It's like a, a movement of people who are doing things a bit differently. You know, them, I think that the dirty dancing, the group of people at the back doing the, doing the, doing the different type of dancing that really is not non-conformist. That's what we, that's what we saw. We, we wanted from a gym. So that's why it was called underground. And then it was near a train station. So underground train station was born. <laughs> uh, UTS was born. So, uh, and that's how it came about. It was literally trying to, trying to train people like athletes. That was our, that was our sort of motto train, train everyone like we train athletes and that the mentality the mentality was there to, to be sort of evidence-based, to be non-faddy, to coach people. And, and we did it and it's, it's 10, years, 10 years old um, and, and, and still going. So hopefully we, we did something right. We, we, there was myself, Col, and a guy called Dave McDermott who's in charge of um, athlete support and uh, performance. Sort of. he, he basically helps all the scholars at John Moores University. So there was three of us and we we set the gym up and we all had full-time jobs. So we all had full-time jobs and we grafted and we, we coached every session between us. And for the first 18 months, sort of, we, we just grafted. I was, you know, it was just after Beijing. So it was a good time as well, because obviously after the Olympics, the first year after the Olympics is a little bit of a, you know, anyone who knows who's been in Olympic cycles, the first years generally like sort of everyone sort of, I don't know. It's a, I don't know. Uh, what's the best way to explain it? You know, it's it's not a down year, but it is sort of thing. You know, it wasn't. You, I couldn't have I couldn't have opened the gym in two thousand and eight, going to going to Beijing. But two thousand and nine, I've got a little bit more headspace. So so it worked well. The end of two thousand and nine, we opened the gym, and um, you know, it's been a great place. And it's five minutes from my house that I'm sitting in now. I cycle there on my bike, and I've probably utilized that facility for hopefully developing and doing the right thing for the local community as well as utilizing it for my own consultancy, um, which again, come back, coming back to the whole question of how it started was because it helped me with my income and maybe I still, I love to travel. I love to travel, but I never, never saw myself taking a job overseas because I've got a very good family set up in the, in the Northwest, you know, in, in, on the world with my mom, my family, my, you know, my wife's family, uh, my brothers, I'm close to my brother and my sister. So that was why I saw the anchor was in, in the Northwest and by having the gym has allowed me to, to, to consult. There was times when I, I left the IS at 20, after 2012, uh, from, from my own, my own, um, it was my own doing. I sort of, there was one of my, one of my children needed a little bit more, more attention. So I spoke to Taekwondo and said, can I go, can I go part-time? And sort of that having the gym allowed me to do that sort of thing and then from from basically 2013 on on i've been a i've been a uh, a performance consultant an snc consultant really um so a little bit different again to what a lot of other people are doing but it's it's worked for me and i've sort of navigated navigated the world of sport for the last six and a half years as, as a consultant mm. So obviously we kind of met at uh, the Child of Champion conference and you did a fantastic presentation on the UTS Youth Academy. So 
Give us a bit yeah. of an overview in terms of what, what does that look like? What's the content? What are the different classes that you have in the Youth Academy? And I guess, what was the perspective in setting it up? Yeah, the, um, the perspective was really my kids. <laughs> my kids starting to, starting to get to an age, you know, when they, they were coming to the gym with me since they were like two, because since they could walk, they were like sort of coming around the gym, climbing on the, on the monkey bars. Kids love monkey bars. We, I made sure there was two massive sets of monkey bars at the gym. A bit of old school again, going back to the, the philosophy of what I'd learned from all the sports I'd worked with. Ropes and monkey, monkey bars were in the gym, had the kids there. So that was the first, I suppose, youth, youth, bit of youth training before we actually had an, an actual class on the timetable. It was mine and Cole's kids. Cole's got similar age kids to me. And then we start, literally started with two, two open sessions um, of just general athletic development i suppose we call i think we called the very first classes we called were called just called youth development looking back and it was it was just experience from obviously from what we knew and started doing a bit of reading and started looking at looking at people who do a really good job in the in the youth in the youth field at the time uh, there was a, you know some really good papers from um couple of guys in america and then obviously in this country we've got we've got some we've got some really good practitioners now we've written who've written books so it was it was making sure we understood what we what we were getting ourselves into for for mike from a for children's perspective personally and then obviously also setting up these classes so we we started with with just two simple classes um one for uh, 7 to 11 and one to 12 to 15 year olds that was our sort of we, we we split the class on a tuesday night and that was that that was how we started and that was about that was probably about two years after we opened the gym so we've been doing that that sort of youth session from for about seven and a half years now and then it's just gradually built now we've got now we've got 14 classes and we've got a three-tier system so we've got the we've got foundation classes so we, we we've got a foundation at the gym so we look to basically get kids who kids who don't do any sport into the gym and they're like the sort of the, the just the we call them gladiator spartan we try and give them funky names they're all about fun. You're masking all the training with, with, um, with fun. You know, you're doing some speed work, you're doing some movements, but it's all, it's all to do with fun, well, which, is, which is obviously that's, that's key for training kids totally. Um, but the sessions are very different. So that's like the, the introductory session. Uh, the, second, the second level is the, um, the um, more of the team sessions. So they're a little bit more specific. So we get the we get the the rugby teams, the football teams. They're a lot, a lot, a little bit more specific, and they tend to obviously the the level these kids these kids are playing sports. So they've got the the kids who don't play sport. Then we've got the kids that are playing sport. We can develop them. They're you know they they move better. They they understand training, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then the third tier is the EDS elite Devel elite development squad. They come in they come in before school in the mornings, and um, we've set that up. We've got sort of probably 16, 16 18 kids who are who just want to be better they were in the they were in the other sessions and it was just it, it wasn't enough for them so we, we uh, you know it was it came to a point the eds has been running about uh, probably about a year now and it was it was come to the point where we need something more we need you know i've always seen the model at img over in america where these kids are doing stuff before school to, to just drip in the athletic development and to do proper sessions and it doesn't it doesn't interfere with after school because if, if the kids are quite sporty that they're all doing after school training and if you've got tennis players rugby players footballers 
trying to have a have a night when they could all come to the gym because they were all doing all the technical training was was just not possible. So seven till eight in the morning before school is the way to do it. And I'm so glad we did it. It's been a brilliant year, the, the development of these kids, because you can get, you know, you can really we have a one to six ratio with our coaches. So we've got a coach for every six kids and then the coach owns six kids programs individually and it is brilliant uh, the developments i've seen on these kids whether they're 12 13 or 15 16 has been fantastic again the, because the coaches are getting that that trust level that empathy is ramped up when you've got a better ratio whereas in the in the open sessions you've got kids that might come one week don't come another etc 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 you're not it's hard to build that trust as much whereas the eds group are, are flying and, and i'm very proud to say you know this guy called Stu vance who, who heads up that, I, I sort of oversee it, but he, he's, he does a lot of the programming, him, Connor uh, and Callum, the three really good, good coaches down at UTS, um, uh, run, run a great program down there for, for the kids and are really doing, doing a great job. Mm. And I've seen some fantastic, I guess, kind of general skills as well in terms of like your obstacle racing, your uh, calisthenics kind of course, um, classes. There seems to be a real great mix for people who maybe, like you say, aren't turned on by the idea of competitive sport. Yeah, yeah, you're just trying to, trying to keep it. So there's, there is literally the, the timetable. I think, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's just so much variation. As you said, Rob, I mean, it's got calisthenics. It's got, it's got our spawn classes. We've now got OCR classes. Because I think OCR, the more I think about it, OCR is sort of, is like the ultimate kids class. And I'm sort of taking me a little bit of time to realize this, but like calisthenics is cool, but it's one element. Kids need a little bit more than that. And I think OCR, we started, the reason we started the OCR was to try and, what, what, I, what I thought was, what I felt was, is that we had all these kids come in and I felt there wasn't a, a massive group. Um, there wasn't a massive, the, the, you know, like you have a team, you have, you have teams and you go to a dance academy and the kids are in a dance academy and they've got, they all, they, all train for the, they all train for that one night when all the mums and dads come and watch and they train for that. Gymnastics do that. We didn't have that as a gym. It was all very, very, everyone's doing different sports. And I was like, oh, I really want the kids to come together as a team. And looked at OCR and thought, obstacle course racing is actually really fun. And it would be a way of getting all the footballers, the tennis players, the rugby players, kids that don't do any, any sports, get them all to come and do a mini tough mudder or a Spartan race. And, and that was the, that I just wanted something to try and pull them all together to say, right, every three or four months, we're going to go and do this race. So if you're a footballer or a rugby player, try and come and do this because you're going to be part of a team. And, and it's, you know what, we had our first one planned in June. And obviously it's not happening now, but we've got a great little, we've got a great following. We've got a great OCR coach at the gym as well. And, and you know what, I think it's, it's, it's the right way. We're going down the right way because I love that idea of, of all the kids coming together and, and having this little tribe, we call them the tribe, our members are the tribe, having this junior tribe of kids who go and compete together, get muddy together, and they'll, they'll have fun together. So, so I'm really excited about that going forward. Mm. And you kind of taken the initiative in doing some family fitness classes as well, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny what comes out of a, of a coronavirus lockdown. I've, I've thought about this for a while, actually, you know, as far as I'm still, I've still got my consultancies with, you know, I've got one with British skiing, which is really cool. I've got a couple of footballers that I work with with privately. Um, I've got, I've actually worked with the FA um, as well. I've got a, a really cool contract with 
with Ben Rosenblatt and all the really smart coaches and Bryce and that over the, the FA. But I've got three kids that I just really, really love doing. The tra- I love training with them. I love doing stuff. I love, you know, taking them out on the road and sprinting with them. I love doing stuff with them. So I've had this idea of having a family fitness and, and sort of getting them involved, almost saying to them, right, you know what, you know what YouTube is. Let's, let's put it together. To, let's put this together together with the kids. And I had that idea and I suppose backburnered it because I'm doing my thing and didn't quite have the time. But then all of a sudden you get stuck in a, in a house for, for four weeks, six weeks with, with the kids. And I thought, you know what, we can do this. So started family fitness TV. That's what we're going to look back as a family and say, that's what, that's what's come out of, out of uh, COVID-19 hopefully is family fitness TV and the kids, you know, Poppy was even saying to me today, Oh dad, it'd be really cool when we go back to school and people say, what, 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 what have we done? And, and I'll, I'll be able to say family fitness TV. And I was thinking, Oh, that's great. You know, that, that's really that put a smile on my face. So yeah, so it's, it's a, it's just a fun thing um that we do and i try and obviously a little bit of methodology in the back of my head and get the, it's just about movement you know we we know how how great movement is for kids so i'm just doing some stuff i mean it's pretty tough we're doing it every morning monday to friday <laughs> so oh, it's looking forward Bloody to the weekend to the rest days yeah mate honestly <laughs> believe me believe me so uh yeah so we're smashing sessions out but the, the difference between me and joe wicks is i've got one of the kids with me um and you know we're we're doing some we're doing some cool stuff i think you know as he is to be fair so we haven't got quite got the numbers that joe wicks has got but uh you know we're having i'm having fun with the kids the kids are doing a session we're having fun we're talking about we put it together together we put the sessions together um as a as a team we talk about how it's how it's planned out we're looking at the how to be better youtubers together so it's become like a little little family project which, which is, I think is pretty cool. I think doing stuff with your kids is just cool. Anyone who's got kids, it is, it is fun. And obviously we, that keeping them moving and them being into sport and all that is, is great because that's, that's, that's how I was brought up and that's how I want to bring the kids, mm. re- kids up really. So outside of coronavirus, what does a normal day look like in, uh, in the life of Neil Parsley? <laughs> um, wow, uh, very varied, very varied. Early start of the week, I tend to work, I'll be working Obviously, the, the stuff of the FA is camp camp driven, so I'll be in camp at various parts of the year um, with various age groups. Day to day, I'm at the gym probably most days because it is so close to my house. Um, I will go and see the sort of private clients, private athletes at various stages. Generally, at the start of the week, it's the football guys because they they play obviously on the weekends, so I'll see them early early start early part of the week. Uh, um still do a little bit of coaching down in the gym. I've obviously run in, I've got a coach, the team is now 12 coaches at the gym. So I, I sort of mentor, oversee the guys. So we, we have a team meeting every two weeks. I'm in charge of strategy for the gym. So that's always on my mind. Um, I'm still trying to develop myself as a, as a practitioner. So I'm, I'm still doing courses here and there, speaking to a lot of S&C coaches during the week, generally, you know, I'll speak to some of the, the older, the older hierarchy of S&C, you know, I'll speak to your Nick, your Nick Grantham's, try and get a call with Mark Simpson every now and then, you know, yeah, just, just, just speaking to other, other coaches as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm still nowhere near, you know, so much to learn. You know, whoever said the, the deeper you get into something, the more questions you have, you know, when you realize, you know, that, that is so true. So I, I'm still a, I'm still, a, you know, I see that I still really want to learn more and more and more because I, I still, still, the human body's 
an amazing thing. And I still want to learn how to physically prepare athletes to be the best they can be. Mm. So, so yeah, very, 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 very varied. That's great. I think um, that variety is obviously why a lot of people get into coaching in the first place is that, you know, not being stuck behind a desk or a, or a laptop five days a week in the same place. People like to get outside and get to different training camps and different venues. And, you know, having that mix is obviously pretty awesome lifestyle to be able to, to build that. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. It's, um, it is great. And, it, and it's, and it's like, it's quite humbling as well when I'm one minute I'm teaching uh, coaching an England, you know, footballer or, you know, a premiership footballer. And then the next minute I've got the under 11, under 11 football, um, my son's under 11 um, football squad in the gym or the under 13 rugby team from the, from the school. You know, I, I, I absolutely, you know, I absolutely look, I look forward to them sessions. I still plan them sessions like they are the, you know, the session, the warm up for the, the England rugby team, you know, because it means a lot to me. I, I don't want to let these kids down. I don't want to let the parents down. I want them to think this guy's knows what he's doing. And, you know, it makes, puts a smile on my face so it's you know the filter mm. nowadays I'm lucky that the, my first filter is do I want to do something you know when I get offered a contract or get offered a job or a player it's like does that excite me and you know coaching the under 11 still excites me and you know that that's that's what that's what it's all about for me mm. that leads really nicely into this next question um, you know coaching both those senior level athletes and some real youngsters what do you think coaches need to develop you know, compared to coaching the seniors, what, what is it, what skills do they need when they're coaching those real young athletes? Um, I think, I think to be fair, I think I've always thought fun was a big part. You know, I, I played, I played a lot of fun games with the, the rugby team as what well, you know, in the warmups. And, and I think, you know, bringing that right back, going up and down, up and down that sort of continuum. I think fun is, fun is a key, fun is a key element. Fun is a real key element. So, have coaching kids you've got to have fun you know you've got to you've got to challenge them just like again elite athletes they love challenge there's nothing better than you know when you challenge someone can you can you do how many reps can you do on that on that on that lift how many how much power can you exert doing that on the on the tendo kids are the same you know i literally done a session this morning family fitness and we were counting reps and trying to beat reps because so so that's no different so i think there's a lot of there's a lot of um a lot of lot of lot of common common themes common themes going on i think you need to explain things well you know you need to you need to you know you've got to have trust you know if kids trust you they'll do anything um just like just like senior athletes so there's there's a lot of common themes right the way through whether it's coaching kids or you know being organized being a good communicator and all these things is you can you can utilize and i tell that to the coaches in the gym all the time they, they're not where they want to be maybe they want to work in pro sport but their skills that they're learning i think that there's a massive you can see a lot of people with a lot of academic academia and coaching knowledge but not actual in the trenches knowledge and i think you build that from interactions with people and and you do that with kids as well because if you if you're teaching good kid sessions you've organized you know what you're doing. You're challenging them. You're having fun. You've got to be a good energy giver because kids, you know, you need to bring energy. You've got to be a good motivator. So I think that doesn't have carry carry over. Mm. And I think, like you say, actually, if you're good at coaching kids sessions, it's probably a bit easier to coach adults because if they've got, you know, they know their purpose of being there, whereas the kids kind of staring into yeah. the next field because something interesting is happening, you know. But sometimes yeah, exactly. equally you get that at the senior level as well. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Yeah, and you, you know. And being humble, being humble enough to to coach both ends, I think is is definitely something that I think's you know important. And 
I'm quite happy to do. You know, it would have been very would have would have been very easy just to to turn my nose from saying I'm not coaching the under 11s You know, but I think I just I I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think, you know, I want to keep doing it. I want to keep doing, I want to keep doing both ends. Obviously there's a financial element to the, to the sort of consultancy. Um, and there's, and, and there's, there's a fun end to, 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 to both. You know, I still, I still very much, I love going to watch players play that I, that I work with. The skiers ski going out to watch them on a training camp. It's unbelievable. But I get a massive kick on a Saturday morning watching my daughter playing football, doing gymnastics and the lads playing footy and rugby. So, you know, hmm. it's, it's just cool. It's cool. So are there any kind of resources you'd point coaches to, whether they're sort of football, rugby, athletics, swimming, whatever, who are coaching young wow. athletes? Good question. Right. Uh, for young athletes. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the, the sort of, you know, even without, without, without blowing smoke, mate, your, your, all your resources are fantastic. There's, there's a couple of great, um, the charity champion stuff, you know, there's a lot of really clever people, um, you know, you know, the, the clever people involved with charity champion are brilliant. So if anyone is involved with youth, youth, youth coaching, they need to look at what, you know, what, what, what they're doing, what they're doing over there. Simon, Simon and his superheroes with, you know, with Howard and, and yourself. And, you know, um, you know, I know he's moved to, I know he's moved over to the Middle East now, but you know he's got some really cool stuff. The way the way he's doing it, obviously bringing in the coaches. You know, you might you might um, uh, what's his surname from, Mike from America? Yeah, Mike Young. So the influence of Mike Young on 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 James's on James's whole program. I think you know that that's really cool. So I think youth youth coaching that will be a great you know a great way to to get a feel for it. Um, and obviously there is a couple of great books out there as well that you that you can get. But I think you know there's being able to get the videos, being able to see the, being able to attend these conferences is, is massive. So I think the Charter Champion stuff is a, is a great starting point. Mm-hmm. I really do. So it, last question. I mean, it's been absolutely, I've loved chatting to you, it's, especially all the different stories and stuff. It makes it really, <laughs> it's brilliant to listen to. And it, it makes my job really easy as an interviewer because you just answered all my questions about the other stuff. So brilliant. <laughs> but where can people who, uh, I've enjoyed this and want to find out more about UTS and about yourself. Where can they find those details or what's the best place to find yeah, you guys? Uh, actually, um, the simplest way is just go to the gym, Underground Training Station. That I have, I've, I've got a website, but it's sort of, you know what, it's, everything's on the Underground Training Station. So UTS, UTS Gym on Instagram and now it's Family Fitness. Family Fitness is going to be anyone for youth stuff. Get on Family Fitness TV on YouTube, familyfitness.com. Um, family fitness tv on instagram that's probably you know what that, that's 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 where i'm i'm having fun with and that's where everything is from 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 my perspective at the moment i i tend to some of the stuff i do with the football and that is is a, is a little bit confidential and I'm, i've never been one to post out too much too much of what i do there i've not been great over the years i look back and think i've got some unbelievable footage but i've never been one for putting that much that much of that out there really um for some reason but um, but yeah, from a, from the gym perspective, you'll see a lot of stuff with the stuff that we do with the kids and the youth, the youth athletes on 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 that platform. Um, so yeah, that's probably the, that's probably the best place. Um, from a high level S and C perspective, I I don't really put that much that much out there. If I'm if I'm honest, I think that's yeah. I sort of um, I've never really done that, and yeah, I, I just I just never have. So the underground training station. If I write any articles or, or do share stuff, it goes on there. 
Brilliant. Well, thanks again for your time. I've really enjoyed it. And hopefully the listeners have as well. Some great stuff in there. So some real gold. So thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Oh, mate. No, no. Great to speak as ever. And all the best with everything you're doing. And you.